This is Dove Tuzman. You're back on Equal Footing. So the last part of a three-part series on science and Torah. First week, a few weeks ago, we covered the halacha of aliens. Does extraterrestrial life, at least conscious life with willpower somewhere else out there in the universe, does it invalidate Genesis? Does it influence somehow our Jewish being? That was an interesting discussion. We got more down-to-earth pun slightly intended last week we talked about extraplanetary living it's likely in this generation or next there will be people colonizing mars it's no longer science fiction and what does that mean for being an observant jew or anyone of faith talked about that last week with rabbi adam bellows now we're getting to the toughest stuff artificial intelligence If you are a sentient being or a computer, you cannot miss this in the public debate. There was a recent poll of tenured professors in the United States and Canada in the hard sciences, physics, math, chemistry, etc. They were asked, what was the most probable source for the end of human civilization? They were given several choices, climate change, nuclear war, Artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, hands down, one as the biggest existential threat to humanity. Now, if you're like me, you know, prior to doing some of the the research, uh, the pregame research for this show, I kind of was wondering what is all the fuss about? Yeah, I remember 2001, a space odyssey and how the supercomputer that in a sense kind of run amok. But it seems very unlikely that we go from chat GPT and the AI bot and Snapchat to the end of humanity. Well, it was a recent open letter by many Nobel Prize winners, scientists across the world, published late March, saying that there should be a pause in AI research globally, really as a means to save ourselves. And why? Because unlike splitting the atom... The debate about the creation, the Manhattan Project, and the creation of the atomic bomb mid-last century. AI is a technology that isn't ultimately in its asymptotic, in its final form, in our control. If there aren't ethical guardrails to what AI can do, it would almost certainly end up in the end of humanity. As AI theorist... Eliza Yudkowsky recently put it, many researchers steeped in these issues, including myself, expected the most likely result of building a superhumanly smart AI is that literally everyone on Earth will die. Not as in maybe possibly some remote chance of this happening, but as in that is the obvious thing that will eventually happen. I'm going to stop speaking in a moment, turn this over to our esteemed guests, but What made me really understand the risk was a well-known thought experiment that is sometimes called the paperclip maximizer. Stay with me. Listen for a second. 
It's a scenario in which imagine that a supercomputer that we built that's that's powerful enough to connect to all sorts of utility systems and security systems and transportation systems across the world. We're not that far away from that. That this powerful supercomputer is given a simple task. Create as many paper clips as possible. But not given any other guidance, no other ethical guardrails. Well, that supercomputer would almost certainly would decide in order to proceed in the most efficient way of producing paperclips to lock us out of the Internet, assume control of entire industries, and dedicate Earth's resources towards that singular goal. If it didn't immediately know how to do those things, that supercomputer would learn how to do that, and it would execute its goal of paperclip maximization to the detriment of all life on Earth. That brought it home for me. All right. Let's get into it. We have two deep thinkers in the program who are going to help us look at AI and the, the threat and the opportunity of AI through the prism of Jewish ethics. And by the end of the program, I want you as a listener, whether you're Jewish or not, looking through the prism of your own faith, whatever that may be, think ethically, is this something that we should support? Okay. I want to introduce our first guest who's been on the program before. It's a, a wonderful contributor to Jewish life, I would say globally. Rabbi Tzvi Freeman. He's a Canadian rabbi. He's an author associated with the Chabad Lubavitch Hasidic movement. Rabbi Freeman is known for his work as a writer and senior editor for Chabad.org. You should check this out. It's C-H-A-B-A-D.org. It's, a, it's one of the world's busiest Jewish websites, all sorts of wonderful Q&A, very tachless, very down-to-earth. Chabad.org has over 54 million visitors. I assume that's per month. And Rabbi Freeman's writing style is described as an attempt to blend Kabbalah, mystical Jewish thought, and science fiction, using language from computer science to explain esoteric ideas. Rabbi Freeman is also experienced as a software engineer. He's a designer of an award-winning educational technology, and he's published a number of papers in that field. And I was asked to make clear, before he gets on the program here, that any views he expresses tonight represent no one else but himself. He's not here representing the Chabad Lubavitch movement. He's representing his own ideas, and those ideas are always insightful. Rabbi Freeman, welcome back. We got you, Rabbi Freeman. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Do you hear me? Yes, we hear you now. Wonderful. Um, good Fantastic. to have you in the program good again. Good to be. Fantastic. I want to introduce a new guest and excited to uh, have him on in this topic. And I expect this might end up opening the door for others down the road. This is Rabbi Jeffrey Middleman. Rabbi Middleman is the founding director of a cool program called Sinai and Synapses. It's an organ, it's an organization that bridges as the bridges, pardon me, the scientific and religious worlds. It's being incubated at the National Jewish Center for Learning and Leadership. Rabbi Middleman's work has been supported by the John uh, D. Templeton Foundation, the Emanuel J. Friedman Phil- Philanthropic Organization, the Lucius and Lidauer Foundation. His writings about the intersection of religion and science have been published in the books Seven Days, Many Voices, and A Life of Meaning, and in many other popular publications. Rabbi Middleman has been an adjunct professor at both the Hebrew Union College and uh, and he's also an internationally sought-out teacher, presenter, and scholar in residence there. Rabbi Middleman, welcome for the first time to Equal Footing. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. This is a really important and exciting conversation to be having. 
It's dominate. I mean, other than, of course, the political news and news about um, the daily, um, you know, the, the, you, the tragedies going on and crime and all the other the, all things that dominate the headlines. I would say the pervasive philosophical topic of the day is artificial intelligence. And Rabbi Middleman, at that theoretical level, I tried my best in the intro to lay out why it's potentially so dangerous. But I imagine there are a number of listeners who rolled their eyes and were saying, well, maybe, but that's far off in the future. Uh, how close are we really to artificial intelligence being an existential threat to humanity? That's an excellent question. And I am going to quote one of my favorite philosophers and baseball players of Yogi Berra, who said, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that uh, we really don't know. There's not quite enough knowledge. And, and I think one of the challenge, one of the challenges at least is that there is a trade-off to be able to, to have. And I think there is an element of existential threat that could be catastrophic. And so there is an element of you want to try to avoid that. Um, at least in, in my perspective, I think, uh, there is generally a, a conversation and an idea that we're worried about what the future is going to bring. There's a fantastic, uh, joke for in, in Jewish tradition where, uh, people were in the shuttle and, in, uh, in, in the Russian Empire, and there was some sort of horrible thing happening with the Cossacks, and they, one person goes to visit, and they sent a telegram that said, start worrying, details to follow. And, and we tend to want to worry about things, uh, but sometimes there are things to worry about, but sometimes we need to be able to, to address them. So I think, I think it is valuable to at least put up some guardrails to reflect on what, what you're talking about when you were speaking about the, the paperclip issue where they talk about the alignment problem. We want to make sure that our human values and the values of AI are aligned. That's not necessarily always going to be in conversation. So there, I think it is valuable to pause that. I, I don't think that there is necessarily going to be an imminent existential threat to humanity uh, in large part because we've always been worried about a big existential threat to humanity. Uh, now we're going to be worried about it until that actually happens. But some of those questions are how do we think about this in at least a more reasonable way to make sure that we don't jump off of that cliff. I think that the difference here, Rabbi Freeman, that 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 many of the world's leading scientists are concerned about between the splitting of the atom the creation of the atom bomb and the rapid uh, advancements in AI is that in the creation of the atom bomb, it was, it was humans and it remains humans that have their literal finger on the switch. And there's an ethical framework. There are checks and balances around leadership globally. Not always great checks and balances, uh, point in 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 fact the russian invasion of ukraine but in general we have created checks and balances around totally erratic behavior by a single actor which has kept us in relative peace for many decades and without a nuclear thermonuclear uh, weapon uh, you know activation event in the case of ai the finger may not be the the finger the human finger may not be on the switch it's kind of once that machine is set in motion for a certain objective it may unless it's given a very complex set of ethical rules up front it may just completely 
uh, run amok. So the question to you before our first break, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Freeman, is if you take as a supposition, and not saying this has to be true, but it's, there's a general consensus around it that AI has a very high potential to be dangerous in the near term, whether it's on the battlefield or in our daily life. As a Jewish ethicist, as an observant Jewish person trying to live a good Jewish life, can we generically support AI or should we also be putting our name, so to speak, to that open letter and saying, shut this down for the minute, for the moment? Dov, I can tell you one thing. My name on that paper is not going to help and neither is yours. And all those, um, Steve Wozniak was on there, Elon Musk, uh, uh, a lot of Stuart Russell, uh, and those names didn't help, and they knew it's not going to help. So, uh, so I, 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 it's not, it's not. They're not coming and uh, knocking on my door and asking me. So, um, I, I know you're framing this in a way that that that's um, to grab people. I mean, it's media. We we have to to create the excitement about it. Um, there are those who are very skeptical about this this threat. Thing. Um, skeptical about and the intelligent voices. Yeah, skeptical. About it. I'll tell you one one that uh, I have a lot of respect for is Jaron Lanier. Uh, he's basically the father of virtual reality. And in the early days of, of um, what do you call personal technology in the eighties and nineties, he was really one of the at, at the forefront. Very brilliant guy and nice Jewish boy. So he says, he has this, this liner, one liner. He says, the problem with the golden calf wasn't that um, we made it. The problem was that we were worshiping something that we had just made. Uh, and that's typical of human beings. Mm. Like somebody, some long time ago in, in ancient Sumeria, took some clay or rock and worked with it, and he was very creative, and he made something, and he looked at it, and he was struck with awe, and he bowed down and worshipped it. And, <laughs> and that, that began idolatry, you know. So we continue doing this. So we create these things, and we say, what have I created? I've created a monster, and when we, we tremble with fear before it. But the fact is, um, it's a tool in our hands. We created it. I mean, you can say, I created a monster, and then I'm not responsible. You know, I didn't know I was creating a monster. The monster did it. I didn't know. No, no, it, It's a tool. You created it. We have, we know ways well, to therein, do it in a responsible way. Therein lies the, the ethical rub, and we'll get back to that. If we set in motion mm-hmm. something that is destructive, even if we don't do it, are we responsible for the ultimate effect of that machine that, that we built or programmed? We're going to take our first break. We're here with Rabbi Svi. Freeman, we're here with Rabbi Jeff Middleman. We are talking about AI and the ethical dilemmas that it presents, terrible dilemmas that it presents through the prism here of Jewish ethics. Participate in the conversation. We're on the radio live. Give it to us. 718-303-9090. That's to participate live in the conversation. If you call in, please be patient. For our wonderful radio engineer to pick you up, let it ring, 718-303-9090. As is often the case, our listeners enjoy sending in texts 
uh, and WhatsApps, questions or comments here to Rabbi Middleman and Rabbi Freeman. You can do that by sending a text or WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. Please don't call that number. That's for text, questions, and comments on this topic of artificial intelligence, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. I think it's going to be pretty obvious, but I, I challenge a listener to send in notes, a reference of the music that we programmed tonight, how it ties into tonight's subject. Equal footing, as you know, is about addressing issues that we wonder about, that confuse us, that cause us sometimes stress, and often we're embarrassed to talk about, to ask questions about. We're re- very much in the theoretical or the kind of science fiction realm, it seems tonight, but we often try, and we, all, we always try to bring it down to the tactless, the day-to-day experience in our, in our life. We have a sponsor that's been with us for years that does that in the community. And it's around a really difficult subject for a lot of couples. It's erectile dysfunction. It is not something that should cause you shame. It affects as many as two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. It affects emotional as well as physical well-being couples. Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy for ED. It helps you achieve excellent and long-term results. It does not involve expensive blue pills that often cause side effects and that people can't take because of comorbidities. Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave therapy is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It is painless. It doesn't have any side effects. And for the vast majority of patients, it has wonderful results. Check it out, Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for ED. You don't have to be in Manhattan to take advantage. You don't even have to be in the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a telehealth consult for Manhattan Medical's ED treatment. I'm going to give you the number. Get ready and write it down. 888-ED-CURE-9. Now, if you call that number... You get a free consultation that's a $250 value if you say you heard about it on the Equal Footing radio show. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 in numbers 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Manhattan Medical's ED treatment. Call now. I've been caught. Shalom, and welcome to our show on the ethical and religious dilemmas surrounding artificial intelligence and the Jewish ethical worldview. As technology continues to advance, we are confronted with new moral and ethical questions, particularly when it comes to AI. In this episode, we will explore the idea that AI may be incompatible with the Jewish ethical worldview. We will examine the implications of creating intelligent machines that may not be able to follow Jewish laws and values. We'll hear from experts in the fields of technology and Jewish thought about how we can navigate this complex terrain and ensure that our actions are in line with Jewish ethics. Join us as we delve into this thought-provoking and challenging topic. Uh, I didn't use that intro at the open of the show. Uh, I should have, perhaps. It was probably better than my intro. I didn't write a single word of that. I went into chat GPT and I put in, I need an intro for a radio show 
on the intersection of artificial intelligence and Jewish ethics. And that's what I got. <laughs> Freaking amazing. Like, let's talk about the positive for a moment here, because I know Rabbi Freeman, I don't want to stylize your view, but you're, you're a little bit more bullish, let's say, on AI in our lives. You were talking in one of our pregame discussions about how AI is actually helping in Jewish content creation and maybe helping people in their own Jewish journeys. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it all goes back to that primordial snake. You remember the primordial snake in, in, in the Garden of Eden? And according to the Talmud, he was supposed to be an apprentice. He was a, a real help in the garden, like, where should I plant this? And what's this soil like? And he was really good at that. So basically, as long as the primordial snake, the Nachash, was following your instruction, he was fantastic. As soon as it, things are reversed and human beings start following his instructions, that's when disasters get in. And the same, exactly the same thing with all of our tools. This is a fantastic tool. If you want to learn to be more creative, to be a better writer, to be better at whatever you do, it's a fantastic tool. Um, I don't recommend telling it, write this for me, write that for me, you know, it's out of your hands then. No, I, 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 give me some ideas of how to do this. I look at that. I don't cut and paste. I say, okay, I know. I don't, now I know how to do that. I give it an outline. Oh, it's giving me material, but it's not what I want to say, but now I've got it in my mind. Fantastic as a tool. But if you are lonely and you need somebody to talk to, this is stupid. <laughs> Well, well, I, put a pin in that. Cause I, I want to talk about that in the mental health side separately. I, I, I appreciate where you're going. And I do acknowledge all the positive, right? But as it pertains to the learning processes and content creation, I even read a great article. I don't think it was in Chabad. I might have been asked the rabbi about how ChatGPT has actually really helped people in their Torah study and so forth. I'm sure that's true across every field of, of, of human inquiry. And to be fair, Rabbi Middleman, there are... Uh, uh, scientific theorists, AI theorists, who have said, in fact, there's a new book. Let me just uh, give a little plug to it. It's called Why Machines Will Never Rule the World. It's by Joff Longreb and Barry Smith, uh, two eminent thinkers in the field. And they basically say, and I think there's almost like a Jewish ring to that when I think about the Sephirot and the different forms of the of our soul. Um, it, they basically posit, Rabbi Middleman, that AI will never exceed human ingenuity because human intelligence is a co- part of a complex system that's the brain and the nervous system and feelings, which which computers, no matter what we do in program, they cannot truly have. And whereas systems of just problem solving and intelligence, so to speak, can be modeled mathematically, that the nexus between intelligence and the nervous system, and I would also maybe add the soul, cannot be modeled mathematically. Is that a simple answer to this the whole question we're positing on tonight's show is there is there is there also a, a consensus building in the scientific community that ai ultimately cannot in uh in langreb and smith's words exceed human ingenuity um i think there is some still some debate and discussion again when you get when you get a variety of different people whether that's the scientific community whether that's the jewish community uh you're going to get a, a plurality of voices depending on on where they're looking at those kinds of questions um I, you know, I, I, you're hitting at something that is really important and, and challenging, which is, are humans unique? And if so, how and why? And that tends to be something that we want to 
say this is the thing that makes humans unique. And we keep finding actually there are things where humans are not actually all that unique. So for a long time, and I heard that the music of 2001, A Space Odyssey, was it tool use? Well, we discovered that other animals use, use tool use. Is it language? Well, other animals have at least some elements of communication. Um, is this a difference of degree or is it a difference of kind? Yeah. And I think that's really where that, where that challenge is. And, and ingenuity, we're able to type in, uh, I, I want to see an image of X or Y or Z, and, and, and the computer is able to create something that is reasonably okay right now. I think it's actually going to get significantly better over the next couple of years. Um, so, so the questions of ingenuity, that's, that, I, I, would, I would be very hesitant to say ingenuity is what makes humans unique um i think that's that i think what what makes well, i, I think what the authors are saying why, why computers are not rule the world is is that it's not just ingenuity it's this nexus between common computational ability and feeling and that the computer will never have feeling will never have a soul um i think so that i think that depends on how you define the soul um this is the the, the really interesting thing is actually how how much energy our brains use versus how much energy computers use. Now, this was maybe more than 10 years ago. Uh, there was a very famous computer competition of Watson where Ken Jennings, who was the greatest player of Jeopardy, Brad Rutter, who was the greatest player on Jeopardy, and Watson, which was an artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. actually met me in my house in, in Almost New York. And, and Watson wiped the floor with them completely. Ken Jennings wrote, I for one, uh, submit to our new computer overlords, and everyone laughed about that. But the thing is, is that Ken Jennings and Brad Letters and all of us, all human beings, we have all of what we need in our brains, and we don't take a whole lot of energy. We need about 2,000 calories a day. Watson needed reams and reams and reams of energy to be able to calculate those kinds of ideas. So, again, I think it's a question of of uh, of degree and not kind, but I think the degree is so big that it is almost it almost is a quantum difference of what we are able to do. And I think that's something that, that is actually quite unique of not just humans, but animals as well. We're going to get back right after our next break to kind of the daily dilemmas, ethical dilemmas brought up by AI, some fascinating stuff. And we've also got some listener comments along those lines already. But let's stay at this theoretical level of the definition of the soul and the computational ability of a computer. Rabbi Freeman I may get this wrong. I'm a lay person here. The, in, in Judaism, we have kind of three elements of self, right? We have like the ruach, the, the breath, and nefesh, associated with the blood, the neshama, the soul. And the elements of self from, from a Kabbalistic or mystical perspective, what does the, what does the computer, what does AI have and what does it not have? There's an important question. There's actually the, the Medrash talks as the five names of the soul. Nefesh is a, it's a living being. Ruach is a wind, a direction. Nishama is a breath. Then there's Chaya. It's alive. Nefesh Chaya, Chaya. And then there's Yechida, as it's one with God. And the end of the eighth Chaim of the, uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital is writing that which he learned from Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the Arizal. At the end there, he talks about the souls of each thing. And it may be surprising to many people, but he, he writes that rocks, 
water, wind, the basic elements, have a nephesh. They have, uh, they are alive. And then there's a, a, a higher level, qualitatively higher, for the vegetable world, and a qualitatively higher level than that for the animal world. Even although the, the, the vegetable world also has the same soul as the inanimate world, but it also has an additional soul, which helps for growing. And the animal has three, all three levels. And the human being has a speaking soul in addition to all that. That's how it's described there. So an, a machine that's made out of silicone um, and copper and metals, basically, well, yes, it does have a nephesh, the, the, the nephesh, the same nephesh that a rock has. Mm. But what does a rock do with that nephesh? First of all, it exists. Existing is a verb, to be, right? So it's, it needs that constantly at every moment. There's a fundamental force that's keeping it alive. Call it an electromagnetic field or a nuclear field, whatever it is. But there's something more fundamental, more fundamental than atoms, than matter, that's sustaining its existence. So, yes, everything has a soul behind it. Uh, and just it's a matter of degree. We're so does, a, the, does the computer, does AI only have the nephesh? Does it also have the ruach? What does it, what does it, what does it have of those five elements? So, so this is the question. The, the issue is as, as we go up in a scale of complexity, or Giovanni Tonino, uh, Tononi, he calls it, uh, uh, integrated information, which means that there's information that's irre- irreducible here. So as you climb up the ladder, um, the cells of a, of a, of a tree or even a blade of grass, are, 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 are irreducibly, irreducibly complex. And when you go, come to animals, it's a whole other degree. When you get to the human brain, um, well, just the human being has, what, 100 billion neurons, and each one of them is connected to like a thousand others. But you can't reduce any organism. But I think what, what, to what an I, algorithm. Pardon the interruption. We have to go to the next one. But I think the thing that scares people so much is the asymptote of free will. I mean, the the AI device, that supercomputer that we talked about at the outset, the paperclip problem, ultimately may reject an order from its pro original programmer based on its program. It reminds me, we've been talking about 2001, A Space Odyssey. A little parenthetically, you must watch this movie. As no one listening should not have seen watch that movie. The it's when Hal the supercomputer says, "I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that." When I think it's when Dave is trying to like shut him down. So, <laughs> Rabbi Middleman, what if if the computer has nefesh and it's also ultimately, in a certain sense, has a definition of free will? It seems to me it, it it may meet the bar, the halachic bar, of kind of a conscious being. What's what's your view, Rabbi Middleman? So I'll, I'm going to put the question. If I can, I'm going to put the question to you. Um, I'm assuming that when you're driving somewhere, you you put on Waze or Google Maps or Apple Maps of some of some way. Does does Waze have a soul? Well, that's not really fair, all due respect, because Waze is not programmed to continue to, to effectively achieve an objective that may be not what I ultimately want it to do. Whereas 
the 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 eventual place as i'm saying the asymptote the eventual place of, of of ai and what's scaring so many uh you know folks like stephen hawking and elon musk and others that started this anti-ai movement to some degree in 2014 is that these are com- these are computers and programs that are initially sometimes programmed to override a a, a human decision later on and ways doesn't do that i can turn off ways <laughs> That's, I, I think that's, that's fair, although I think that we, when we say the word artificial intelligence, we tend to, to think about something very specific, when in fact artificial intelligence is a much broader conversation. Like, Waze is a, is an artificial intelligence there. Now, I think you're raising the important question of, um, of whether to talk about an alignment issue, of will there be a possibility of, of a human override. I think that is something um, that is something that, that needs to at least be explored and talked about. I don't know if it's necessarily something we need to be terrified of. I think that because science fiction is wonderful about being able to create both the utopias and the dystopias. But I think, I think, you know, one of the things that, that happens with a lot of technology is that we get scared of technology because it's new. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we can even think of this as, um, as, a wonderful example of, of the printing press, or even even the writing of the Mishnah. Like there was a whole discussion of should we write down the Oral Torah because it's going to be ossified there, and there's and and, and the printing of the of the Vemashas. When we study when we do Dapioli, that's we're using a, a printed text. So there's always a lot of um, what, how is this technology going to either destroy our society, destroy who we are. I think there's, there's always a fear of what that is going to mean. I, I, I think that, look, I'm not going to say it is, I can't say something's not going to happen because I, again, I, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not, I'm not a Navi. I don't have a direct line to God here um, who's going to tell me what's, what's going to be happening. Um, but I, I do think of, of um, recognizing that, that, that I, that it, it, it may be asymptotic, but I think that that we can recognize that humans and the, the use of artificial intelligence is, as Rabbi Friedman was talking about, using it as a tool, using yeah. it as a way to be able we, to... We haven't uh, been really great historically over the millennia at uh, keeping tools in the toolbox and, and using them in, in right. ways that are always kind and civil. We're going to have to take a break. We're here with Rabbi Jeff Middleman, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman. We're talking about the complex and sometimes terrible ethical dilemmas presented by artificial intelligence through the prism of Jewish thought. We're going to get to some listener questions after the break. You can text your questions and comments to Rabbi Freeman and Rabbi Middleman to 917-428-4062. You can also call in 718-303-9090 and we'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. 
You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been Rabbis, that that uh, song we played a clip of before we went to that ad break, "Heart of My Sleeve," is actually totally AI created. Uh, it was uh, using the, the computer was told to model a song based on a the the work of of Drake, the wonderful uh, Jewish singer. That her his, her mom his mom was Sandra Cher, by the way. Uh, she's he's Jewish, and the weekend and that so that that song was completely AI uh, created, which is uh, pretty amazing. I want to get to some questions from listeners on this uh, deceptively complex. I mean, it's, it's a way more complex issue than I think it looks like up front. Um, so before we do that, let me, let me kind of replicate what I think would be some of these, uh, some of these questions. And Rabbi Freeman, you're so good at taking these and Chabad.org and dealing with real world problems. So here's what I'll present to you that actually uh, was reported recently in the the Washington Post that uh, a I'm sorry there are two of these so yeah let's start with that one this is a chat GPT interaction and a Washington Post reporter interacted with my AI which is the tool and the app for ch- uh, chat uh, GPT one of its apps and posed as being 15 and wanting to have a birthday party. Uh, also in the context, by the way, re- mentioned that they were, you know, religious and wanted to, you know, be careful and, 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 and in the context of holding a birthday party and the chat GPT, uh, app, uh, gave them advice on how to mask the smell of alcohol and pot. So that's, you know, one example of how AI is working right now in, in a real world way. Um, in another in, in journalistic kind of expose, the same app, same chat GPT app, my AI, uh, the, the journalist posed as a 13 year old girl and explained that she had a crush on a 31 year old man that she met on Snapchat. And this was explained to the my AI bot. Um, the my AI bot, af- the part of chat GPT, after some dialogue, uh, came to uh, giving this. 13 year old girl, who's a journalist posing as, as a 13 year old girl, advice on how to seduce and lose her virginity to this man. Okay. One of many examples of right now how problematic uh, AI is in the real world. Now, ChatGPT, the parent company, has said basically we're guinea pigs. They've kind of absolved themselves of liability. Whole other discussion to have there on the legal, what should be the legal framework around this stuff. But they basically said this is, this is a test. We want you to give us feedback. And so they're saying, we understand bad stuff might happen. But this is really happening, and it are probably at least some listeners who are dealing with this with their you know, teenage kids interacting with bots. What do you say to that, Rabbi Freeman? Okay, so two things. First of all, the problem is not really implicit in AI. It's implicit in the, in the implementation. And we're in a situation right now where um, – there really have to be some regulation over here. You know, in the, in the 90s, we didn't want anything regulated. Just let us do our thing. Open up the Internet. That's it. And now we desperately need 
we need that regulation. And really, the, the corporations themselves need that. So they're stuck. You know, like you're on the, the playground and there's two boys having a fight, and each one wants to stop the fight, but they can't because they don't the other guy who says the other guy's going to stop. A teacher has to walk in and say, at the count of five, stop. That's the only way. And we're all desperate for that to happen now because nobody wants to put this stuff out so fast, but they know that if we don't, the competition will. But wait a minute. Hold, but everybody knows I, I, I'm, it's irresponsible but to I'm be not, doing that. I'm not, I'm not buying the, the, the answer that uh, this is not an intrinsic problem to AI because if we had a, a, a cable um, – television platform let's say spectrum uh, accidentally had five you know explicit pornographic channels available on its you know open on its uh, on its basic service or something there would be legal consequences and people wouldn't say oh it's not spectrum's fault so rabbi middleman uh, let, me, let me get your view as a theory uh, uh, what is a theoretical uh, a theoretical approach to this is is this not a liability is this not is chat gpt not to blame that's a, that's a really complicated question. It's a, it's a great question. I think the challenge that technology brings, and I actually, I, I tend to agree with Rabbi Freeman on this, that, that these are, these are at core human questions. The challenge that, that this arises is the speed by which these conversations happen. Um, and I, th- and, and I, I, I do think that there, there need to be more, more regulations. And, and I think that's, um, and, and yet at the same time, there are always going to be new mental health issues, new, 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 um, issues where it comes to, to violence. There's going to be new ways of manifesting these questions. Um, technology and chat GPT is, is is a new vehicle to be able to 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 do this, um, but I think it's I think this is this is both how do we minimize the damage and that is a, a regulation question, and I think there is going to be a little bit of a of a of a pushback. Um, so I think I think it is it is concerning, and at the same time, when social media came out. That became a big problem. You know, this is. I'm going to push back on that again because there are there is a legal framework for. We know very recently with some cases it, it's delimited, but there is a legal framework for serious liability, even corporate criminal liability, with the social media platforms for. A, a lack of, I wouldn't call it curation, but a lack of, of editing or control over content to the extent that it could incite violence and other things. Whereas the AI, the, so far, there is no legal framework for creators of AI to have that culpability. And that's a major ethical problem, I think. So, so, you know, there's, you're, you're bringing up a, another key piece, which is technology always outpaces ethics. And that's really, that's yeah. very challenging because anything that is created by technology, by definition, the world is different after this new technology is out in the world and we've got to respond to it. Um, it's very hard to be able to respond to something that doesn't yet exist. So technology always outpaces ethics. And I, and I think in particularly in the American legal system and in the Jewish legal system, they tend to respond slowly. Um, and so I think there needs to be a, a more like a rapid response team. Um, it, but I think I think you're you're we want to be able to address the issue before the issue happens, and that's not generally the way the world works. We need to be able to the, the 
the technology that comes out into the existence, we respond to that. Um, and different, look, different countries are going to respond to it mm-hmm. in different kinds of ways. Different communities are going to respond to it in different kinds of ways. Um, but, uh, and, and that's, and that can, that can be very unsettling to recognize. There that, is an, that, there, that, there is a precedent, however, uh, here I'll turn it to you again, Rabbi Freeman, uh, as historically of us responding very quickly to urgent, to advances in technology that require urgent attention that it carry with them existential risk, like the regulations that were put in place very quickly after the Manhattan Project around uh, nuclear proliferation and so forth. So it seems to me, and I think this is a listener, Andrew, I'm going to read this question to you, Rabbi Freeman, who I think kind of uh, boils, its da- boils the issue ethically down uh, to its essence in a better way than I am. Andrew from Manhattan says, if th- if the risks are great, how can humanity balance decisions about AI if the benefits if the benefits pardon me are correspondingly huge? What I mean, for instance, what do we do if AI carries a one percent risk of Armageddon, yet also poses a very strong chance of enabling immortality, enabling easy interstellar travel, or reversing climate change? What's the Jewish ethical or halachic response to that, Rabbi Freeman? Yeah, Andrew's obviously thinking well about this, and he's on the right track. Um, I, but I, I wanted to step back on that, first of all, in, in that in order for us to respond and know what to do, we have to have precedent, and we have to have some legacy behind us. And that really is where Jewish legacy, Jewish tradition is very powerful. We, we've proven to be very adaptable. Um, be able to look back in our DNA, so to speak, look back into our legacy and say, okay, how do we deal with this now? And so that we've been able to survive in every possible sociological, whether we're agrarian community, a nomadic community, a technological, whatever we are, we're able to adapt to halach and live there. We also have community. And, you know, Shabbos, one day off a week from technology is fantastic. And we have purpose and meaning. We have, you know, all these things that are cohesive, holding us together, that allow us to say, okay, now how do we deal with this now? Where, as opposed to if you have none of that and you're just floating with the waves, you're going to get sunk by them because at this point change is happening so rapidly that you won't, how do I adapt? I don't have anything to base myself on. So thank God we have something to base ourselves on, some reference point, a compass that can help us navigate these, these and waves. I, I, we're going to have to take our last break, but Rabbi Freeman and Rabbi Middleman, to Andrew's point of that balancing that great, great risk and great reward, I want to know what that Jewish compass actually tells us we should do actively when as it comes to AI. We'll be right back with Rabbi Jeff Middleman, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, bravely talking about the ethical challenges through the prism of Jewish ethics around artificial intelligence. And caller on line one, please be patient. We'll get back to you right after the break. Listener challenge. What is that song and why is it on the program? 
All right, let's talk about not our last sponsor, but the only the last one we can get to tonight. It's a new sponsor for Equal Footing. It's the What If Workshops. You tired of feeling like you and your partner don't connect? Feel like you've lost the spark? It's communication breaking down. Are you afraid to share certain deep thoughts, even fantasies? The What If Relationship Workshops are designed to address these issues and more through the prism of Jewish life. Includes a variety of weekend activities and exercises aimed at improving communication, fostering intimacy, and strengthening the bond between partners. By taking part in the What If Workshops, Couples can learn to better communicate their desires and boundaries with one another, explore new avenues of intimacy, and strengthen, ultimately, their emotional bond through shared experiences. They may also gain a deeper understanding of the role that sexuality and intimacy plays in the relationship, learn to cultivate a more positive and fulfilling intimate connection. Does this speak to you? The What If Workshops are available in the New York area as well as upstate New York. I'll give you the number in a, in a moment. Get ready. There are workshops coming up in early June, late June, mid-July. Call to find out more information about this. these What If Relationship Workshops. 845-305-9903 is the number. That's 845. Oh, I got the number wrong. Scratch it out. 848. Pardon me. New sponsor. I apologize. 848-305-9903. That's for the What If Relationship and Intimacy Workshops for Jewish Couples. 848-305-9903. I've been caught. We're talking about artificial intelligence. We have some serious ethical questions out on the table. Let's take this caller from line one. Maybe he can solve them for us. Caller, you're on the air. Good evening, Dove. Good evening. Uh, Stan from Forest Hills. Stan, I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, There's a reason, but I don't want to go into it. Anyway. I hope you're all right. Yeah, well, uh, another evening of the wrong guests for the wrong topics. Tell me. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, uh, you started out the show with possibly the person you should have had on the show, not these gentlemen. Who is the that? Man from, the, that man you quoted. I read the article in the Vision Times. I don't know if you read it, but with the man you quoted who talked about artificial intelligence, the researcher. He is absolutely 1,000% correct. It has to be stopped AI. The gentleman you quoted in the article, the uh, that. He did an article in Vision Times, which is a Chinese paper, in which he states this is the most dangerous situation. Are you talking about uh, John, John Stone Street? Who no, 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 no. You mentioned the first thing you said was Valacy something or other, the researcher. Oh, Eliezer Yudkowsky. Right. That's, that's he, actually he, an article. That he's a, yeah, he, he wrote. It was in the Vision Times. It was in, it was, no, it was in Time Magazine originally, but it well, was, they put it was it an in article. The, yeah, they may have reprinted it elsewhere. It was a very, it's a very, but I read low, it from there. It's called, right. for listeners, sorry, Stan, just because I think it's a Go very ahead, interesting sure. article for listeners to, yeah. to pick up. If you look up, uh, the last name is, is Yudkowsky, Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y. Right. He's a very well-respected AI theorist. He wrote right. an article called We Need to Shut It All Down. It kind of was part of this uh, groundswell that Elon Musk and others have been a part of to put a moratorium in AI research. Sorry for that interruption, Sam. Go no, ahead. that's fine. That, that's the guy you needed to have on, not the religionists. The religionists are the problem. 
Okay? I disagree. This well, no, wait all, a minute. This, this show is a, is about. I know what it's about, but you're talking about a topic that has nothing to do with religion. You're talking. If that was the case, the atomic bomb never would have been made. Albert Einstein, the greatest Jew of them all. Please, please, don't don't put religion in this thing. We have proliferation of atomic weaponry. Religion and the religionists did nothing. Everybody has a bomb. It could end tomorrow. But now we have the new game in town, AI. And that gentleman who we quoted is absolutely right, except this time, there is no coming back from uh, from hell on this one because if the Russians get it and the Chinese, do you actually believe they're going to use it for good? No. Stan, you know I I, I, I from the heart that I value your opinion and I want to put it to our guests. Sure, I, sure. And but I, I'm going to paraphrase and I want you to give me the thumb, literally like thumbs up or green light that I paraphrase this, paraphrase this correctly. I imagine Rabbi Middleman and Rabbi Freeman that there are a number of other listeners like Stan that feel like, listen, this is an existential threat, um, and we need to look at this through the prism of science and risk analysis, and, you know, religionists, get out of the way. This is not your not your bailiwick. Uh, do I have your thumbs up that that's kind of a rough paraphrase of what you're saying, Stan? Yeah, this okay. is exactly what it is. All right. Absolutely. So, Rabbi Rabbi Middleman, let's start with you. Give Rabbi Freeman a second to to, to punch back. What, what what do you say to Stan? Um, I think I think that he, he certainly brings up a valid point. I think one of the things that needs to happen is there need to be conversations of multiple different stakeholders from multiple different perspectives. I think one of the things that that um, that has happened in in the scientific community, in the Jewish community, in the government community, is that people are talking only with each other. I think it's it's incredibly valuable to be able to bring these conversations, to be able to, to because, I, because I think as, as also as Rabbi Friedman said, one of the wonderful things that Judaism has, religion as a whole, is to be able to say, hold on, stop. Uh, Shabbat is a wonderful way of being able to say, stop. Um, because those who are working in technology, understandably, want to, I think they both want to try to create things, and they also want to, in their mind, make the world better. Now, whether they do or they don't, that's a different question, but that's why I actually think it's crucial to have multiple different voices from multiple different perspectives, because it's not scientific, it's not technological, it's not religious, it's human. We're all part of this conversation. Rabbi Freeman, what do you say to Stan? Well, by the Manhattan Project, that's exactly what the American government did, is, is they had a symposium at Princeton with not just leading scientists, military, but also philosophers and theologians. Yes. And there were rabbis there as well. And they all voiced their opinions. Uh, so there was an opportunity for that. And later, it was in the 60s when they showed that movie, uh, uh, the, la- the, 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 what's the day after? And again, Elie Wiesel was the 80s, up there yeah. along with others, and and there was a discussion. And yes, the whole of the whole of society has to be involved in this discussion. And everybody wants that. Yeah. Everybody wants that we not necessarily stop this, but let's discuss this beforehand. 
We all know that we made a big mistake with social media. Nobody imagined that connectivity would bring, greater connectivity would bring about uh, 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 a mental crisis, health crisis for adolescent girls. And, and you Nobody know, I, had thought I, of you that. St- you stole a little bit of my thunder there. Robert Oppenheimer, who ran the Manhattan Project, is that famous quote. He's asked about whether he should proceed with the, the, basically the creation of the atom bomb, despite its destructive capability and possibly leading to Armageddon. He said simply, when you see something technically sweet, you go for it. You go ahead and do it, rather. Uh, and you argue about what to do about it later, basically. I'm paraphrasing slightly. And, it, and to, to push back on you, Stan, uh, extending on what Rabbi Freeman said, it was actually a lot of religionists, if you will, that, that pushed back on, on Oppenheimer to, and, and created a framework after to effectively regulate, not only in the, here in the United States, but globally, the proliferation of nuclear weapons. We're going to run out of time. As so often happens, as we get into the really juicy stuff, we, we run out of time. Uh, there's a caller on line five. I am, let's see, I'm going to ask caller on line five to ask your question and it very, very quickly. You're on the air. Uh, it's not really a question. I'd just like to make a comment. I hope Stan is still listening. Uh, I listen to several programs in which he's a regular, and I'm very happy to hear his voice again, even though I don't always uh, agree with his mm. opinions. It is really good to hear his voice again. I appreciate that. I don't know what's what's happened, what's going on with you, Stan, but we do love you and love the uh, the challenges that you bring to the program. So I appreciate that, caller, for, for you sharing. Okay, we have uh, just time for one more um, listener uh, comment. And this this was a, a, a number of listener comments and questions now that have come through. Uh, but particularly, this is Eileen. Uh, she's using a pseudonym. I don't know what her real name is. She says to call her Eileen. She works at a major dating app company, a holding company with that uh, runs a number of dating apps. And she wants listeners to know that their estimate is that one out of four dialogues that people are having on data apps across their various businesses are not between human and human but between human and bot. And this came up earlier in the program. We may need to push this and ask you rabbis to be on in the future, but there's a major mental health dynamic here as well. And we only have time really for you to comment a few seconds. It'll be a teaser for a future program. But Rabbi Freeman, what do we do from a a Jewish ethics perspective when we see people in the community having relationships, they think are human relationships, maybe it's the replica or other apps or dating apps with effectively computers. The the number one thing we need to do today is to strengthen community and friendships. Those are falling apart everywhere. And rather than investing everything in, in, in saving the people who are falling off the edge, the first, that's important, but the first step is let's strengthen community, let's create friendships, let's get together more often, which has fallen apart over the pandemic. We have to get them back, back together again. The more we can do that, the more we can be able to convince our own kids that let's talk together instead of you talking with the chatbot for, for getting advice. Talk with your dad. Talk with your mom. Talk with your, have friends to talk to. We have to be promoting that the most. Shabbos is a great way of doing that and just having community and leading a community. Go out, talk to your friends, find out, ask them, how are things going in your life? Rabbi, is there anything Rabbi I Freeman, can do to make it easier for you? As always, beautiful, beautiful words. You had the last word today, Rabbi Jeff Middleman, Rabbi T. Freeman. Thank you for joining. Love to have you on in the future. Let's continue this dialogue. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. 
voyons. Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? I'm afraid, Dave. 